Um, me and my place. Uh, we are in a series uh, that is entitled People Who Met, who, who Met Jesus. And uh, the reason for this series is twofold. Uh, and I'm just going to keep saying this for six months so that we get it. Uh, first reason is this, is that it is our desire as elders that you and I meet with Jesus. That's our heart for you. That would be something that we pray about and long for. The second is this, that we would love you to invite as many people as you can to be a part of us so that they can meet with Jesus. Now you have friends, family, Christians, not Christians, prodigals, whatever you'd like to call them, aliens, you might have something like that. Please invite them because we believe that as we go through uh, worshipping God together and going through this series, we believe that people are going to meet with Jesus. So we want, we, we want, I want our preachers to be active, but please would you be active in doing that? So uh, our uh, subject this morning is John the Baptist. So if you've got a uh, Bible, can you please turn to John chapter 1? We're going to read verses 19 uh, to 34. John chapter 1, 19 to 34. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed. And he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the path, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then, why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he, this is fantastic, isn't it, this? Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. That is a really true statement about the presence of Jesus. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where God was baptizing. Sorry, John was baptizing. God wasn't doing it. The next day, uh, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit from heaven like a dove. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, 
But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, On whom he on whom the Spirit you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John uh, was born to um, aged Jewish parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth. They uh, were a priestly family. Elizabeth, as you know, was related uh, to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this devout couple lived in, in the area of Judea, perhaps uh, in, in the area we would know as Hebron. And in Luke chapter 1 and verse 6, we have this wonderful uh, summary statement of the character of this Hebrew um, couple. And it says there, it says, And they were both righteous before God, walking in the, all the commandments and statutes of the law of the Lord blameless. Now then, ah, wouldn't you like that written over you? Wouldn't you like, oh, it's that couple. It's that people that live down the street. Have you met them before? They're righteous before God. They walk in all the commandments of the statutes of the Lord. They are blameless. Now we need to pray that, that, that God by his spirit falls upon us so that that is how we are reflected by the world. On the occasion of Zechariah's appointed uh, time uh, to exercise his duty of burning incense, 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 incense in the temple at Jerusalem, which actually only happened once a year. So if you got this wrong, you were really in trouble. It's there that the angel uh, Gabriel uh, appeared to this very elderly man and informed him that his prayers had been heard and that his wife would bear a son. Now, in the Gabriel uh, saying this to Zechariah in the temple, he knew that his wife was barren. He knew that. So here's Gabriel saying, by the way, when you get home or whatever, your wife's going to be pregnant. And here's him saying, see me wife? Not only see me wife, but see me. These two guys were getting on a bit. Why is this important for me to say this to you? It is, it is really this, that John's conception was miraculous. And everything in the kingdom of God is miraculous. That is it. We need to stop thinking in terms of processes and plans. and sometimes No, we worship a supernatural, miraculous God. That's the God in whom we serve. This is the God in whom we should preach. Incidentally, uh, he was, uh, John would be six months older than Jesus, and it was foretold that the child would be filled with the Spirit, even in his wo- mother's womb. Do you remember this leaping story? Do you remember that? Sort of the, when the two moms get together and, and John the Baptist does the leapy thing, which, you know, a lot of. Do you know? You can tell how filled with the Spirit you are because when you come into the presence of Jesus, you should leap a little bit. It's a good thing to check, isn't it? How does Jesus affect me? 
then you need to be full. This is a man full with the Spirit from birth, comes in contact with Jesus and leaps. Good test, isn't it? Good test to the last two songs that we were singing. God, I'm not leaping when I'm in contact with Jesus. It's not affecting me. Come, fill me with your Spirit. It's interesting for those theologically minded amongst us, it was said that he would be brought up in the strict code of a Nazarite. Now, if you want to have a look at that, you can have a look at that afterwards over lunch, over in number six, and you can read that to find out how, G- how John the Baptist was brought up. But it is interesting. He was brought up very strictly and devoutly. The scriptures are actually silent about uh, the deaths of John's parents, um, though legend... Uh, first put out by, by um, Steve and Belinda, says that Zacharias was slain by Herod. We don't know. We think that he was. And what we think is this, that because that happened, it forced Elizabeth to flee into the wilderness area of Judea. Then, in the wilderness area of Judea, she brought up her son. And Luke chapter 1, verse 80, tells us how this son began to grow and began to impact on his small community and a wider community. It says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit. Isn't that great for our students, our people at school, those sort of things? What do we want to see in them? We want to see them strong in the spirit. I was asked by the caretakers this week, because famously we've been to Ibiza. And the, the caretaker said to me, did I go to the phone party? Now, can you imagine this? <laughs> the truth is, yes. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. But it is interesting that this week is Freshers' Week. What will the Christians be known for? Glyndor University Christians, how will you be known this week? I'm preaching to ones that haven't arrived yet. But, but you know, will you be there for wearing strange clothes and getting drunk every day this week? Is that what will mark your freshers' week? Or will you be strong in the Spirit? Do you know, God is looking for a people who will impact our schools and our universities that are strong in the, in, in the Spirit. I believe that revival can come to universities and, and, and our schools. And God can break through in these most godly, ungodly places. But we need people who will stand and be full of the Spirit of God. And he was in the wilderness till, until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Where was this? It was in the desert area that stretched from Jerusalem and Bethlehem eastward some 20 miles uh, down the River Jordan and the Dead Sea. It was barren region, rugged, craggy, valleys, hills. Uh, sorry about the picture. It looked better on when I did it. Uh, it, it. Full of sort of sand. It was not the place that you are to really live and build uh, and to build a family. And you know how we lived. You know how he dressed. We won't, we won't go there. But just so that you might think that he's not as strange as you possibly can think, all you have to look at is Andrew Harmon and see how strangely he is dressed this morning. <laughs> just like you to say that we do not advocate cross-dressing as part of 
being a member of Gateway Church Wrexham and also just to say that he's, Andrew is on the foundations course and this will be dealt with tomorrow night. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. So John in, John in prophecy. Uh, dear. I think, Phil, that you need to take him out for a, a manly chat. Just if you... Can't see Phil. Where's he gone? He's run away. When some when Phil comes back, could somebody have a word with Phil about dealing with his son? Anyway, John in prophecy. <laughs> we have some problems in the Harmon family, but. Just in the mails. <laughs> Any Hebrew that would be uh, familiar with the Old Testament would have expected um, John the Baptist's uh, ministry to, to pave the way uh, for the appearance of Jesus. They'd have known, they knew that there was someone coming that would come first, that would prepare a way for Jesus. If you talk to a Hebrew, the Hebrew of the Old Testament, they would have told you that. They would have said, we are not only looking for the Messiah, we're looking for the one that will prepare the way for the Messiah. And then the, the idea was that if we see this one, then what's coming? Truth, they missed it. Truth, we miss it. Don't we? Sometimes the Spirit of God is right in front of our nose and we think, oh no. And we like that. We need to have really sensitive, tender hearts if we're going to encounter God. As we just, the Spirit of God comes, we miss it. So seven centuries before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said in, in Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert in the desert, a highway for God. And, God, and John was this key figure. He was, his heart was, and he was to prepare the way for Jesus. In the concluding book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, uh, on behalf of God, Malachi would declare, Behold, I send a messenger. He will prepare a way before me. And the Lord, in whom you seek, will suddenly come into his temple. He will burst onto the scene. And the messenger of the covenant in whom uh, you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. John will stand up and say, I am the messenger who prepares the way, who clears the way. His purpose in life was to make a way for Jesus. Now, he's a messenger. Same words. In the New Testament, for the word messenger is ambassador. Now, we are Jesus' ambassadors. We make a way for Jesus. Once there was one man that made a way for Jesus. Now, there is millions of people across the face of this earth that God has called to make a way for Jesus. Once there was one prophecy that came for one man. Now there is a whole billions of people that God has called. Know your calling. 
Come on, church. Make a way in the desert. Make a road. Make the path for Jesus. This is our calling. Malachi chapter 4 goes, Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. He would be a prophet of the stature of Elijah. Wow. Some guy. Gabriel himself said that he will have the spirit and the power of Elijah. That will do. (laughs) Take a little bit of that. Jesus would say uh, later of of him that Elijah has come. And there would be... And he would be John. He's not saying they would be the same. He's saying that this man has the stature of the prophet. Why was he saying that? Because they admired Elijah. And he wants them to see the road in which, which uh, John is. Uh, he wants to honor the man John. So we're in no doubt then when we open the book of John, whom this man is. I love this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That about does it, really, isn't it? Now, you can write your name in there. Why am I here? Why, why have I ended up in Wrexham? Or in Deeside? Or in Whitchurch? Or Flintshire? Or where? Oswestry. Strange place. There was a man and a woman sent by God. That's what your birth is all about. That's what your existence is all about. That's why you are here at this right time. You have been sent by God. Why was I... Kelly sometimes says to this, we, we watch an awful lot of period dramas. <laughs> <sighs> Except Jane Eyre, but that's a bitter thing because we got kicked out because the fire alarms went halfway. And... It's really interesting that Kelly, I don't know whether men, you, that you that watch these period dramas with your wives, that you, no, see, Steve doesn't do it. Steve, you need to learn this exercise. Is it edifying? It's not. But, <laughs> and Kelly says to me, I don't know whether Kelly would love to wear those mop cap things and be down in the maid things. So if we watch Downton Abbey, you see, you know, the men are upstairs and Kelly's going, I'd love to be in the kitchens. I just want to address my wife for a moment. Please excuse me. There was a woman sent from God called Callie Lloyd to be born in 19... No. (laughs) God did not want you to wear a mop cap. And what we do in private is nothing to do with anybody else. So we will go. So that is the reason. You were born at this time. Okay. Let's make... (laughs) Okay, so you can write your, your birth dates in there and you can know this. You were sent by God. Let's try and earth this then. Three amazing testimonies. One of the purposes of John the Baptist's ministry is to make sure that he's not confused with Jesus and to make sure that, that, uh, that Jesus is seen as utterly amazing. It's our job too. That's our purpose. We want Jesus to be seen as utterly amazing. Uh, John, uh, in fact, uh, must decrease, remember that, and, and, uh, and Jesus must increase. That's the heart of it. It's decreasing Nigel. It's increasing uh, Jesus. Always the way. Always the way. 
But John begins to get a running start uh, before Jesus is sort of seen and recognized. In verses 6 to 8, he bears witness and he says, the light to come. So there's a light that's going to burst into your, into your living room, as it were. Uh, and we see that. Then in verse 15, I'm not sure whether the people are listening, he cries out in the wilderness, shouts out to a vast crowd that gathered. And I don't know whether you're aware of this, that often John the Baptist would gather more people to him than Jesus ever gathered. So this is a vast crowd, and he's crying out to them. He said, there's one to come. There's one to come. And in verses 19 and onwards, he launches with these three amazing uh, testimonies. The first one is this. Jesus is Yahweh to come. And we see it in verse 23. He says, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That's a quote from Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5. In other words, the Isaiah guys of the the Lord referred to in Isaiah, God of Isaiah, Jehovah God, the creator, the ruler of the world, the covenant God of Israel. Now, here, John the Baptist is saying, this is that Lord. This is him who is to come. And it's this God in whom I am preparing the way for. That's his first witness. The man who's coming after me is more than anyone that you have ever dreamed about. The God of the Old Testament is here. That's going to shake him a bit, isn't it, really? That really is. Wow. He's not only man... But he's God, and he's here. John chapter 1, God has become flesh. God has become flesh. God is here. And God is here. When Jesus ascended, he said, I will leave you another, Alos, the same as me. Now God, think about this, God... What is Jesus? Jesus leaves, says, I will leave you another, the Spirit, the Spirit of God. God is here with us. But this would be an outrageous thing to the crowd. God is here in the form of a man. The second amazing testimony would be that Jesus is superior Then when they asked John the Baptist why he was baptizing, he answers in verse 26 and 27, I baptize you with water, but amongst you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. They ask him why he's baptizing, and he answers simply by saying, I'm the one, I'm only preparing for one who's much more superior than me. I'm actually not worthy to untie his sandals. What is he saying? They've asked him, why are you baptizing? And he said, this baptizing isn't about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about what I'm doing, guys. This is about who is to come. And that always remains the same. Let me just say this gently. 
it's not about you. It's not about me. In the kingdom of God, although there's a, a thing today about self-esteem, and the, you and I are not the most important things. We have to settle that in our hearts, you know. We really do have to settle that. In the equation, it's not about me. Just so that you know, it's not about my ministry either. I don't actually have a ministry. I sometimes don't like that term. We serve him. That's what we're about. We serve him. So it's not about my profile. It's not about my needs. It's about him. And who am I if I'm one out of the ilk of John the Baptist? I am a promoter of his excellence. That's where I am. If I met Jesus, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Not. You know what the Bible says? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Jesus is utterly superior to me and you. Just is. Get it. It will help you. Jesus ranks before. Verse 29 and 30, John the Baptist says, the main things about Jesus, about why Jesus, the Lord of glory, has come to earth. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he, was, he is before me. Verse 30, he repeats it. Uh, and then verse 15, he says this. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was for me. The point, Jesus is rank. Jesus is rank. He is absolutely before John. Why is he that? Because he's from eternity. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. He's absolutely before John. He's more important than John. He's greater than John. He's higher than John. He's more powerful than John. We could go on. That means he's more important than anyone else or anything else. You know, when you get saved, this is the problem sometimes with evangelists, if I may say. They're a great bunch. They do what I can't do. Terry Hotchkiss, from, he can preach rubbish and people get saved. <laughs> I preach better than him, nothing. No, enough. Just true. Frustrating. Great bunch. But let me just tell you this. Salvation is more than acknowledging Jesus as your saviour. A biblical understanding of Jesus is he's not just saviour, he's Lord. That's what we're saved into. And some people can go on that ticket, they can say, this is, I, I've come in to know Jesus as my personal saviour. And the answer to that is, it's great that you know Jesus as your personal saviour, but is he also your personal Lord? Is he Lord of everything that you own, have, possess, think, live for? Because that's where God wants to take you. That's why Thomas, with his doubting, could say, my Lord and my Master. That's what Thomas was all about. It wasn't just Saviour. You know, we can delight in the fact that we are saved. But there's a huge difference in, in the fact that we delight that he's our Lord. Because it means that I submit everything to him. Everything to him. And the reason for saying all that here is that John wants to underline 
what it takes for Jesus to be the Lamb of God. He wants to underline how important this person is so that you and I get it. He wants, to, he wants to underline that so that we might understand what it is to take away the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin. He wants us to understand that no ordinary human being can be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everything that God told us is essential to Jesus being the sin-removing Lamb of God. That Jesus is the God of Isaiah. That Jesus is superior to John. That John, isn't un, that John is unworthy to untie his sandals. That Jesus is before John. That he ranks above him. And because of all this, he therefore can be the Lamb of God that takes the sin of the world. Nobody else can take away sin other than this person. Nobody can do it. So let's behold the Lamb. Verse 29 the high point of John's testimony. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He repeats it. Why does he repeat it? He's just bowled over by it. Kali will say to me often, she'll say, you've said that before. It's just because it's got me. You know, verse 35, verse 6, the next day, John was standing with the two disciples and he looked at Jesus and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. This wonderful testimony caught caused two disciples of John the Baptist to leave him and become followers of Jesus. And that's what John's witness is supposed to do. That's exactly what John came. John must have had a smile on his face when, when he goes, Behold the Lamb of God and takes the sin of the world. And they go, Bye, John. We want to go with him. We want to do that. See, John wants people to leave him and follow Jesus. Wherever, as Revelation says, he will go. Now, let's just understand this and then we'll move on. We are designed to follow him where he goes. That's the idea. We leave and we follow. There's a leaving and a follow. They left their nets and they followed Jesus. Let's just put this theologically speaking. This does not mean that I go and I ask Jesus, please, would you follow me? Jesus is not your little dog that you have and you put a thing and you say, Jesus, I'm off here. Please come with me then. And you go, he's not coming. So you get another one. You pull the thing. And have you ever seen dogs when they don't go? They stick their things like this. You think, Jesus is not coming. No, the reason is that you've got it the wrong way around. We follow where he goes. We don't go and ask him to follow. It's true. Sort it. You get the dog's not coming. No, it's because he's not designed to come. You follow him. You do what he's doing, what he's saying, what he's called you to do. Go back. It's not about you. It's about following him. So the emphasis in John's witness to Jesus it falls on these amazing words. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It can only be Jesus who is the fit Lamb of God who can take the sin of the world. John warns us of thinking that any other man can do it. Salvation is found in no other person. No other person. 
we'll look into that just to find out why that is true. Jesus, what Jesus had to do to take away the sin of the world required that he be more than a man, more than a prophet. He had also to be God, to bear the sin of the world and to bear your sin. Therefore, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. In other words... Jesus was able to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because he was the God-man. The Word became flesh. And now we see the central reason why. The God, God became man so that he could take away your sin. Your sin. When John wrote his first letter, he put it like this. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Verse 5, you know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there was no sin. The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason that he became flesh was to take away your sin. And John is witnessing that, the, the incarnation. What is the incarnation about? What is the Christmas story about? Well, I love a carol. Actually, I don't, personally, but some of you do. Steve Hawkins wets himself with delight at carols. There you go. What is all this about? It is about you and I, our sin removal, our sin transference. He will remove our sin by taking it upon himself. That's what it's all about. And we're unaffected by it. The Bible tells us this. It said that sin leads to death. It says that because Jesus did this, it leads to life. Live then. Live. Just a little hoo-hoo would be quite good every now and again. I've had my sins removed. Me too. Mm. You know, it's... Have you heard? It's two for one at Asda. Yay! (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? It's true, isn't it? My goodness. Why did John, in John chapter 3, verse 5, say, and in him there was no sin? Because the lamb that would be offered as a sacrifice would take away from the, from the Old Testament. It had to be spotless. It had to be with, without blemish. It had to be something different. Listen to this uh, from Leviticus chapter 4. If he brings a lamb as an offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blen- blemish. It shall, lay, it shall lay his hands on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest uh, shall come and take the blood of the sin offering uh, and with his finger and he put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood on the base of the altar. The priest uh, shall make atonement for him and the sin which he has committed and he shall be forgiven. But everyone knows that the blood of animals would not be able to cleanse us from all sin. Hebrews tells us that, chapter 10. The whole idea of Leviticus, the whole idea of these bl- 
bloody and gory and detailed sacrifices are that they are pointing one day to an ultimate sacrifice for the sin of the world. And John's saying this. He's saying, that point has come right now. Behold the Lamb who will take away the sin of the world. Behold the one that will do it once and for all. He's saying this. I am standing looking at the ultimate Lamb, the ultimate sacrifice. Will you please behold him? That's what, and it's still the same Christ. What do you want me to go? Please, please, Ed, would you like me to beg? Behold the lamb. Behold the ultimate sacrifice. Behold the one, the only one, who is able to take away the sin of the world. John cries, behold. I cry, behold. He wants you to see this. Be captivated by it. Move from it. Leave from John. Follow him. He thinks this. Please, this one. This one. Can I just say this, please? Behold. Behold. Are you a beholder? When Peter, another eyewitness, described Christ's ransom for us, he uses this language. He says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with a perishable thing such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of of Jesus Christ, like that lamb without blemish or spot. How could Jesus be without sin? How could he be this perfect lamb? And everyone born in an ordinary way inherited Adam's sin. This is the theological understanding of this. That's why Paul said, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death to all men because all have sinned. And what have they all done? I'm glad one or two knew. Every man born in the ordinary way was a sinner. Why is that important? Because sinners cannot take away sin. That's the point. That's the why when it's simply say, well, all these different, whatever, sinners can't take away sin. A man can't do it. So how could Jesus take away sin? Because he was not born in an ordinary way. We won't go into that because I'll get into trouble. Uh, He was not born of two humans. We'll leave it like that because I would like some dinner. He was... The God-man, because God ordained that he would be born into a world in a different way. There would be no passing over of sin. Remember, remember this. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. First of all, you would be afraid, wouldn't you, angel? Oh, I love the glory. Get, go, wake up. No, you wouldn't. Just love to be in the glory of God. You would be afraid. Just stop being gooey and sentimental. You would be afraid. You would be Mary. That's why the angel has to say, look, and you found favor with God. It's comforting her. And behold, just by now that she's, got, she's dealt with a fear, okay, I now understand I've got an angel. I'm dealing with this. I, I've, I've put this aside. Okay, the angel speaks. By the way, I'm here to tell you, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Now I'm afraid again. 
And you will call his name Jesus and he will be great. Oh my goodness. The responsibility goes on. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. And the kingdom will be... And Mary said to the angel, How will this be because I am a virgin? And the answer, and the answer to that is, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the most high will overshadow you. Because this was no ordinary birth. Because what was required was something more than a mere man to deal with the sin of the world. That's why Jesus was holy. Jesus was without sin. No original sin. Think about this. No active sin in his own behavior. Jesus asks, doesn't he, of the people in front of him in in, in John chapter 8 verse 46. He says, which one of you can convict me of sin? And you'd think somebody would have a go, wouldn't you? And the answer was, no one could do it. Because we know that Peter would later testify that he committed no sin. Wow! There was no deceit found in his mouth. Ah, deceit in mine. No deceit in his. And the reason that he was without sin was that he was God. God's here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. Everything about Jesus in this Gospel is pointing to God has come. The perfect sacrifice is here, and He is the one who can take away the sin of the world. The trouble is, this didn't go down so well. We read it clinically. Did I do that? And I don't know whether you've realized this, that it didn't go down so Because when he's saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this meant two shocking things for the Jews and the listeners that are relevant for us today. First, it meant that the God-man would die. And not just die, but die as a lamb would die. Slaughtered. I don't know whether you are like me, but I, I've had a conversation with Phil and, St- and Kelly this week because I wanted to illustrate this and I felt that I couldn't do it. And I had an idea and I didn't do it because they both wouldn't let me do it. <clears throat> but basically the point of this, behold the Lamb of God, is that sitting in front of him is a crowd of people and he's actually trying to say to them that you are going to slaughter the Lamb of God. You're going to do it. Is it a Roman? No, it's you. Your sins will slaughter. It was this point I was going to give you a demonstration. I'm not allowed to do it because I'm a man under under authority. (laughs) But I just want to... Sometimes we need to have a bit of a really real... Who killed Jesus? I did. My sin. He was not only died for me, but he was slaughtered because of me. He died for my sin. It can be sort of over here, can it? No, I nailed him to that cross. My behavior, my life, I did it. And he's saying in front of this, you will slaughter the God who's become man who's here. You will do it. And I did it. I did it. 
Second, it meant that the whole world would benefit from this and not just the Jews. This is Jews listening to this. The God-man was surely the, the Jewish Messiah. But his death would take this away the sin of the world, not just Israel. So he's sitting in front of them saying, you will slaughter God. Not only that, but guys, you're not going to be the only ones that benefit from this. The whole world would benefit. This was a great crowd to be in, wasn't it, this? And actually, that is it. That, that is why this would have been a shocking statement. Would have been sober and serious. Wow, I'm going to do this? And not just us, but those Gentiles will be saved? I don't even remember this. In John chapter 11, the high priest stood up and he spoke prophetically, not understanding everything, but speaking prophetically. And he stood up in front of Jesus and he said this, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that a whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest of that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not, not just for the nation only, but also for to gather in the children of God who are scattered abroad. Wow. He will die for the Jews, but not just for the Jews, but for a people scattered all over the world. John put it like this. His propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the world. What does propitiation mean? It means wrath removal, just so that you know. The Lamb takes away sin and removes God's wrath. That's where we started in worship, isn't it? He removes the sin. He removes God's wrath. Let me just say this to you. God's not angry with you. He can't be. He was angry with his son. The anger has been put on his son. By your blood, you ransomed a people of God from every tribe and nation. So what does that mean? It means this in conclusion, that we have seen and appreciated this very powerful wrath removal. John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We have had the wrath of God removed from us. My dad had what was described as a, a hard hand. And that was how you felt it as a child. He had a hard hand. Because your sins are forgiven, your father does not have a hard hand. Does not have it. It doesn't mean that every person in the world will be saved. But it does mean that Jew or Gentile will be saved if they believe in Jesus Christ. If they believe that God's wrath has been removed by this sacrificial lamb. Let me put it like this. There is no race, no nationality, no ethnic group, no social economic status that is excluded from this wonderful gift. If you put some verses from the Bible together, you could read it like this. To as many as received him, to believe on his names, their sins are taken away. The wrath of God has been removed. 
and they are made children of God and given eternal life. Behold the Lamb. It takes away the sin of the world. You've not been excluded. But it's more than that. Jesus is our Lamb and our Lord. Everyone in this room is a sinner deserving of God's wrath. That's what the Bible tells us. We'll, at one point, there is only one way to have your sins taken away and find favour with God. And it's not working with God. It's not clearing up your life first. That comes later. That's fruit, not root. The, but the one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as the glorious Lamb of God, Jesus said this, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's what the Bible says. But it says this, therefore, if you believe as Jesus is your lamb, you can say with the apostles, the blood of Jesus, God's son, has cleansed me from all sin. So the idea is this, twofold. One, if you do not know Jesus as your saviour and your Lord, you can turn to him and believe in him and know the forgiveness of your sins, the anger of God diverted, and you can know the free gift of eternal life. You can know it now. And I would want to suggest to you that you do that now. You do that. But for those who know the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world, can I encourage you to forget not the benefits that have come your way and the way that they have come? God became man that's big enough God became man and was slaughtered for you that's huge God became man and was slaughtered for you so that your sin might not be upon you anymore that's amazing that's why it says in Galatians I've come to set you free Don't walk in bondage any longer. Look, walk in this freedom. That's why we should behold the Lamb. And for those, I don't know whether you know this, that that you you will behold forever this wonderful fact. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11 and 12 says this. It says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and living creatures and elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying in a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. Is that it? No. No. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That's the point. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. My appeal to you today would be be shaped by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My appeal to you would be to this. That God came in the form of man for you. For you. That he was brutally slaughtered 
for you. It isn't a clinical death. It's for you. When you read the Gospels, for you. Read it. Understand it. For me. This was for me. When you hear the cry on the cross, when he can't hear his father, it is when he at his uttermost point is bearing all the sin of the world and he can't connect with his father, it is for you and for me. But it is also that this lamb of God has still a work to be done on earth. And we are those messengers that God has raised up so that we can cry to the world in which we live, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't just be beholders, be messengers. Yeah? Would you like to stand? Father, we come to you extremely grateful. (laughs) Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for the manner in which you did it. Lord, would you help me not to forget your benefits? Lord, I want to be a person that is ever affected by the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. Lord, would you help me to... Lord, I want to confess to you in front of my brothers and sisters that my perspective of life goes all over the place at many times. Lord, that I can often get rather shirty about some things and angry about others and that I can often put things in the wrong order. And Holy Spirit, I want to ask you for your help that the, the one and most priority of my life would be the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. Lord, will that be my motivating factor for worship? Will that be my motivating factor for building the church? Will that be my motivating pe- thing for witness, witnessing? Lord, will that be my motivating wi- thing for if I have any, a bigger mortgage or not, or whether I go on this college course or not, or whether I take that job or this job, or whether I live here, or the, everything that I do will be governed by this one magnificent thing. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, I want to confess to you, Lord, I let so many things become important. Would you help me to decrease so that Jesus Christ would increase in the midst of my life and the midst of this church? Lord, I want to be like John the Baptist. I want to be able to step down and step away so that you can have the preeminence in all things. Lord, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.